I'm Laura Shavin, and this is The Offcut Straw, the show that looks inside a writer's bottom drawer to find the bits of work they never finished, had rejected, or couldn't quite find a home for. We bring them to life, hear the stories behind them, and learn how these random pieces of creativity pave the way to subsequent success. My guest on today's episode is writer, comedian and raconteurs Miranda Kane. She's performed her one-woman shows around the world and has had three seasons of the audio sitcom that she writes and stars in, Slaving Away, topping the Audible charts since 2018. But before I go any further with this introduction, I should warn you that it's not an episode that you want to listen to with younger friends or family, and it's definitely not safe for work. Because Miranda is a very honest, funny and forthright person, and I enjoyed this interview immensely. And she shares a lot about her life, and particularly about her experience in her previous career as a plus-size sex worker. She's also an activist for sex worker rights and the decriminalisation of sex work, and does a podcast called Good Sex, Bad Sex. So there is explicit content. Funny explicit content, but explicit content nonetheless. And if you're uncomfortable with this kind of subject matter, then you probably want to give this one a miss. But if you're not, this is a cracking episode. Although, like every podcast episode recorded since the pandemic, we started off talking microphones and checking audio setups because that's now the law. It's great. It's and now we're all doing it in our pants and underwear anyway, so we might as well just be freestyling, isn't it? It's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's. You sound marvelous. There's no problems with your audio, obviously, because uh, you do your podcast. Presumably, you've got a, a proper setup in. Yeah. Are, are you recording from your? Yes. I've heard this new phrase, boffice. Bedroom stroke office, although office, I know. <gasps> wow, no, I'm well. I'm in my lounge, um, but unfortunately, I live right opposite a playground. So if you hear screaming children, it's not the ones in my basement, Laura. <laughs> okay, thanks for the reassurance. Right then, well, I suppose if we get started with your first offcut, yeah, can you tell us what it's called, what genre it was written for, and when it was written? So this is a cut scene from the third series of my audio sitcom for Audible called Slaving Away and it was written this year in the year of our Lord 2021. Fortunately, in my work at least, I can still meet people who do know what they want, which is why I'm currently on top of hands, eight inches deep. No, 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 no. Pin my legs back and then use the strap on. Like this? Oh, yes, yes. No, 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 no. Maybe I spoke too soon. What? It needs to be deeper. If I bend your legs back any more, I'll break your hips. There is no way. Let's put a cushion under your arse. Get it up a bit. Oh. What are you doing? Trigonometry. But I do not want this cushion. Just trust me, I've done this more times than you. Okay, I'll let you try. Oh, oh, oh yes. Oh, yes, you know what you're doing. Weird, that. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. There we go. It's easy once you get everything in place and a nice little rhythm going. A bit yeah. like rocking a baby to sleep, if your baby was a six-foot-tall German with a penchant for prostate play. Oh! Oh, he might need winding. That's it. Now we just need to bathe him and get him dressed. Harmless, really. Now does baby, but do you want a shower? Uh, No, I will go. This was not satisfactory for me. Really? Well, you certainly look like you enjoyed it. Baby wipes go in the bin, by the way. It's your body. My body? Mm. You mean the one I described in detail on my website, along with the many pictures? Okay, Hans, what seems to be the problem? Your bum? Amazing, like a shelf. This I want upon my face. Chances of that are dwindling. And the thighs? I love how they rub together. I want to feel them squeeze my head. Doubt that's going to happen any time soon. Your boobs! Oh my God, your boobs! Thanks. Grew them myself. But the belly? The belly I do not like. So, you like my boobs, bum and thighs, but not the thing that's holding it all together? Yeah. So, you basically want a Barbie doll? No, 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 I like the fat women. But you do realise I have no control over where the fat goes, and it was very clear in my photos where the fat is. Yeah, I saw the photos. But you still look surprised? I I thought you used Photoshop. Hold the phone? You thought I used Photoshop to make myself look fatter? Yeah, it's a niche market, no? No, well, yes, but... Also, I don't even know where to start, other than getting you two American high school teenagers, a lightning storm and Kelly LeBrock. What is this Kelly LeBrock? Science. 
Look, Hans, I don't know what to say. No, 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 you don't need to apologise. I wasn't going to. I was, in fact, going to encourage you to fuck off at the earliest opportunity. <laughs> well, I have to say, this was the most exciting scene we've ever recorded for this series. <laughs> we've never had anything quite so graphic as that before. Anyway, tell us about it and why was it not used? <laughs> Don't tell me it wasn't dirty oh, enough. That was, oh, that was so, I know it's so bad to laugh at your own things, but that was, oh, very well played. Just the excellent right amount of anger in her voice. That's, oh, brilliant, brilliant. So this was based, this is totally, so a lot of things in Slaving Away are based on accurate and true depictions of clients that I had when I was a sex worker. And this was exactly what happened with a guy who thought I genuinely photoshopped in more fat and he was just like really unhappy. He was like, this is not good. Like exactly how uh, your man just <laughs> just played it. And um, I, th- I was writing it and I just thought, and there was no ending. Like I couldn't find a way to end it and fit it back into the script. Like I'm, I really love with Slaving Away, one of the things that we've, said from the beginning was that the client scenes are like the snippet in Alan Partridge where he's in the studio. So it's got no bearing on the story. The real story is what's happening in the travel lodge. And these vignettes that are happening in her bedroom have no bearing on the story. Um, but one of the things is that I like to have it uh, give it a satisfactory ending. And this one, I was just writing because I was really peeved at the guy. <laughs> I just remembered what he said and I was just really angry. I was just like, oh, I can't I can't figure out how to end it properly. I thought you ended it quite well, actually. That oh, sounds like you. a punchline to me. <laughs> but before yeah, we go any further, let's, although I, obviously I know the series, but just mm. to uh, a listener who isn't necessarily familiar with it, we've rather chucked them in the deep end. And in fact, I probably <laughs> should have warned them. I might have to postscript, add a postscript before we record this. There is strong, but yeah, before I play this, please note there is strong language and sexual content in this right from the start. So you might want to make sure there are no young children around or indeed your boss. Um, so yes, we probably ought to explain, mm. We well you, if you don't mind, explain what Slaving Away is. Slaving Away is an audio sitcom that I was very honoured to be able to write for Audible and it was based on my years as a sex worker. So I was a sex worker, I was a plus size sex worker in London for 10 years before going into comedy and being able to talk about it and laugh about it and yeah so we've just released our third series it's very not safe for work and that (laughs) is one of the joys like for me one of the reasons why I wanted to write it and why I do write a lot about sex work is because I don't feel like we get the real depictions on television and on media Um, everyone either thinks that we're victims of abuse or we're high class escorts and this is very much just it's an average ordinary woman trying to do an an extraordinary job but in a in a very ordinary (laughs) ordinary way and we take it to pantomime levels of you know stupidity and storyline and we we and we talk about decriminalization and sex worker rights so it's yeah it's a bit of a a wild roller coaster ride but it is it is also very naughty Mm. (laughs) yes so it's it's interesting that well i suppose it's good that it's um audio only because it does mean you can describe all kinds of things without either making the audience shockingly or making them want to be a little bit ill depending on what it is they're seeing or being absolutely presumably pornographic and possibly quite arousing god forbid um so was it your idea the audio thing how did that come about so we were who's we a friend of mine oh sorry a friend of mine um, nick minter so he uh, worked with john holmes friend of your show john holmes and they ran an audio production company and i was i was friends with nick for years. We used to work together in a radio station before I was even doing sex work. So we've just known each other for years and years and years. And I started doing (laughs) sex work on the side, kept it a total secret from him. And then like 10 years later, I'm like, "Um, yeah, so I'm doing a show as part of the Camden Fringe, but you might want to brace yourself. And I literally came out to all my friends doing (gasps) this this one woman show. You're kidding. Uh, That's how you told everybody. Yeah. Yeah. On stage. Yeah. (laughs) 
So some of them knew, and then oh, but like people like Nick, who were kind of not not more work. Like we were we were friends, but it just never comes up in conversation. Yeah, Laura, I know, crazy, isn't it? You just, would you it's like weird. another cup of coffee? By the way, that <laughs> thing you're stirring your sugar with is in yeah. fact a no. Never mind. Um, yeah. No, I can see that would be a problem. Here's why I have plenty of time to go to the pub and and lots of disposable income, uh, and yet seemingly you're not, not an a heiress. Job. Yeah, maybe. exactly. Something like that. Yeah. Exactly. I live with a flatmate in East Finchley. Like, <laughs> but yeah, East know. Finchley, it's very, very um, suburban and very yes. unglamorous a name for a place where Dominatrix <laughs> lives. She lives oh, no. Dominatrix from East Finchley. Oh, yes. N2. Thank you very much. Someone once said that they were like, why is it in East Finchley? That's not exactly the hub of, of sex and sexuality. And I'm like, we are everywhere. And actually, <laughs> I grew up near East Finchley. And let me tell you, there was quite a lot of sex and sexuality going on in those days I can't I can't vouch for it now I'm not there now but uh, oh yes there were things going on behind twitching net curtains in oh, M2 in brilliant brilliant so Nick was in the audience when you went yeah. oh, ladies and gentlemen I'm in fact a dominatrix <laughs> yes Yes. And then stood there for an hour and pretty much told everyone about it. It was a very rough cut show. It was it was more just like I'm just standing on stage chatting to people. And for years, like ages and ages and ages, I was like, Nick, I've had 10 years of working as a sex worker. You work in radio and I've always loved radio. It's always been my passion. I grew up listening to Radio 4 and, and you know, I'm a massive fan of The Now Show and all of these things. And i begged him to do something surrounding sex work and he just completely ignored me and I still haven't forgiven him about it and then one day he gets a thing from Audible and they, they're running a competition and they want to make uh, six pilots and then it goes to an audience vote of which one gets a series and he said right well let's do uh, something about sex work. Let's do, you know, we we sat down in the pub, <laughs> had a great brainstorm about it, talked about it. And it, it was just something from day one that we wanted to make into a series. And we had enough, like, material talking about it. Because fortunately with him, like, I could sit down and write because I would get caught up in my own brain straight away. And Nick would just be like, I just want to know what would happen if someone turned up and they looked underage. Would you ask for ID? And I was like, oh, my God, that reminds me of when someone I did have to ask for ID so it was all these lovely bouncing off points and he was like what about anyone super religious and I was like yeah there was a guy who turned up in a full rabbi outfit <gasps> like, no yes <laughs> was he actually a rabbi or he just wanted to disguise himself or it was part of the fantasy it was the full Hasidic Jew thing and he was I think he was Jewish like you know there was no fantasy there well you could probably half tell couldn't you really? yeah yeah <laughs> they were they yeah, were hey, they <laughs> I, but he wasn't sort of going, I'm, I'm, call me rabbi. No, nothing like that. And the cheek of it was like when he was phoning up for an appointment and like texting beforehand to confirm, every time he would always say, Oh, you are discreet, aren't you? Are you discreet? Is it discreet location? Is it really, is it discreet? As it's if like, uh, yeah, it's easy, for, like <laughs> as if I'd have a neon sign <laughs> saying, <laughs> in the middle of East Finchley. And then that bugger turns up in full gear like that like thanks thanks for the discretion yeah brilliant well sorry i don't send that what do you think a hasidic jew turning up at your flat what message does that send to the general sort of area <laughs> you think I, I don't want people to think i have religious men around <laughs> my house what's, what's the nature of his indiscretion there <laughs> It's not that. It's just that, you know, my neighbours saw me and my gay flatmate and we were in our early 20s and we used to go and get pissed down the Weatherspoons every Friday night. So I think I think they'd just be more worried about us and wondering whether we were changing our party ways, you know. <laughs> converting to yeah, Judaism. Converting to Judaism. Like, I... <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't, a, he didn't become a regular. Sorry, I shouldn't be asking these questions. If, <laughs> but I'm just curious because I'm a nice Jewish guy. And and just East Finchley, I might even know him. It was, it's, yeah, it's more than welcome to turn up, but just don't be hypocritical and keep asking me whether I'm the one that's discreet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. all. Have uh, I so, dug myself a hole? I've dug no, myself not a hole. No, no, no. This is I've done making notes here. This is very, very interesting. Now, I wanted to ask you anyway. I'm not sure if this relates properly to writing, and I probably should, you know, I should probably stick to the writing thing. But I'm just too curious as a white bread middle class. Um, sort of uptight woman so this is all new to me so I would like to know when how 
did you learn the technical aspects of the job? You know, when you get specific requests, because you're not, ju- it's not just uh, vanilla sex, from what I understand. It is, no. and also from, from the scene we've just heard, it's very, um, <laughs> presumably there's a lot of different moves and a lot of different terms. Yeah. How, how did you learn about them and, and how to do them safely and hygienically? So I was on the kink scene for a while anyway. So there was a lot of, you know, if you're looking for equipment, there were things like the London Alternative Market and the Fetish Fair you can go to. And a lot of those places would have demonstrations. So that's where you'd learn to use impact toys and impact play safely. Then there's also the great internet. You know, there's a <laughs> lot you can learn. And also being a plus size woman, there were specific plus size places where I could go to, where if I had a question about using my body in certain ways, then a lot of people could help me with that. Oh. And the internet, really. And also just experience. I often, you know, it's all very Darren Brown. Like, what I'm about to do is a mixture of showmanship, experience and... Sorry, you didn't say that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. That was your intro. A... Hello. What I am about to do. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, that was a very specific kink. Um, <laughs> but it's, it, is, it is just an experience and, and intuition. That's yeah. the other one, intuition. So you do get an idea. And, and also there's a wonderful thing, kind of trick that I learned, which was so if I had a client who wanted a very specific fetish, I'd learn from him. So say you're talking about foot fetishism. So some guys, they just want to kiss your feet. Some guys want to get a bit more intimate with them. And on the phone, I'd be like, okay, well, you just tell me what you want to do and that's fine. And then I'd see what they were doing. And then the next day, if someone said, oh, I'd like a foot fetish, I'd do what the guy... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the day before. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mean I something like this, perhaps? Exactly. <laughs> oh, this old trick that I just learned from someone right. an hour ago. So, it's, yeah, it's kind of a mixture of just talking to people and finding out, like, you know, you get the time on the phone when they book an appointment, you get a time on the phone to ask them what they want. So it's not just that you have to sit on a mountaintop in Thailand and study the Kama Sutra for three years. You can just say, right, what do you want and how do you want me to do it? And then, yeah, when there's things like safety things at play, then there are things you can watch on YouTube and people you can ask. And like I said, like demonstrations at loads of kink events that you can watch and, and ask questions at. OK, well, the reason I asked a question, I thought it might lead to a, well, there's a, a course you can do or a handbook you can read. <laughs> but no. OK, fair enough. Cause, that, that, I mean, your, your answer makes more sense, to be honest. So. <laughs> Yeah, we'll move on from there then. Okay, well, let's uh, let's get on to your next off-cut. Tell us about this one. So this is from 2007 and it's a clip from my diary. Oh, my God. <laughs> Letters to Jon Snow, May 15th, 2007 at 11.39am. A few weeks ago, we placed a competition in a well-known women's magazine. The entrants were to write their names and addresses on the back of a postcard and send them to us. However, as we were part of a larger building, we ended up getting various pieces of mail for other departments, one of which is the Channel 4 News, with that bastion of English news, Jon Snow. At first, I would duly send them back to the postroom to be delivered to the correct person. However, as we have since moved, I am still getting them in the forwarded post. You would have thought the postroom would have been a little more careful after two weeks of getting return mail. But no, still, I am getting strange things meant not for my eyes. So, in a fit of defiance, I began opening them. And here's what I found. So far, Jon Snow has had an invitation of champagne and canapes at the launch of Nancy DeLulio's new book, one which we didn't think he'd be too interested in. So Shaq is going to go instead. He has also had the following letter which was photocopied. The handwriting was one I'd seen on many of the envelopes I'd sent back, so presumably he gets this one every day. I've just saved him the bother today. I've replicated the grammar and use of punctuation no matter how much I want to correct it. America. It's the way of the dragon, not return of the dragon. It's fist of fury, not the Chinese connection. It's the big boss, not fists of fury. The movies of Bruce Lee. It is like all of your heads are upside down. Put the movies of Bruce Lee as every other country is in the world and you are all sorted. John from England. But it's not just Jon Snow's getting fan mail. This was to a younger presenter named Andrea. Dear Andrea, can you send me a signed photo as I've taken up the pipe and I love it? 
Can you sign your photo to Pipe Man Steve, please? I do recommend a pipe to all, including women. Can you send me your signed photo signed to Pipe Man Steve? Thank you so much for all your time. Yours sincerely, Steve. Not entirely sure why mentalists don't know how to use full stops and other fun bits of punctuation, but obviously they've had one too many pipes to bother with it. <laughs> so when you sent this to me, there is a little note that you wrote with it. You said, this is from my penultimate day working in an office job. Yeah. The next entry stroke day was basically fuck, fuck, fuck. They had the audacity to make us all redundant yeah. and not even fire me over anything exciting to write about. So uh, <laughs> explain, tell all. This was the job where I met Nick and it was an absolutely terrible radio station. It was a terrible idea. It was terrible music. It was all very middle of the road. We uh, had a million pounds and the joke between our little friendship group has always been that we drunk a million pounds because we were doing our best, but nothing was was happening anywhere. And I was the marketing assistant. And as you can tell, I basically spent my whole time opening other people's letters. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it was in the basement of the ITN building and we were just ignored. I think we had just been completely forgotten about. So were you in at the beginning of this? station yeah yeah until the end yeah which was about nine months so right (laughs) and we had a good laugh amongst ourselves and it was you know really nice but yeah we all knew the station was going nowhere and and wasn't really anything inspirational but I think I learned a lot about marketing (laughs) (laughs) which was to come in useful in my subsequent (laughs) career exactly (laughs) transferable skills Laura isn't it And, and yeah, we just didn't really, we tried. Like, it's not like, oh, we just sat and did nothing, but we just couldn't get anywhere. So in the latter weeks, we were told basically that we'd all be made redundant. And that was the last office job I, I ever had. How many office jobs did you have? I've been working since I was 16, but it was all like in terrible call centres. And because I grew up in a very small town, I grew up in Dorset. And so it was the only jobs there were things like call centres. Every morning you wake up thinking, oh god I hope the bus crashes and I get six months in hospital that would be dandy you know (laughs) so we got uh, you know with this one this was my first job in London and um, because I'm big and bubbly and like this on the phone and like hi welcome they said would you like to be the marketing assistant for this new radio station so this was the last proper job inverted commas that you had yeah so what changed between the end of this and the beginning of your sex working it was a sheer frustration. So I didn't know what else I could do. So I'd gotten into this job because I'd started at the station doing work experience and I worked my my bum off. I, you know, I made it really clear that I wanted a job and got to got interviewed for the, the marketing assistant role because of that. But I get very stereotyped sometimes, I think, as a larger woman, mm-hmm. I think it's very easy for people to think that, you know, just because you're fat, you're therefore lazy and stupid. So so maybe that's just my paranoia, but that always kind of works against me. And then I was living in a really terrible little, like one of those tiny shoebox flats in a HMO kind of deal. And it was horrible. I wanted out. And I also didn't really have that many friends. <laughs> so I started looking online, like to find a, a boyfriend, you know, someone I could go out with or, you know, someone I, I could just go out to the cinema with. I was, I was at that stage. Mm-hmm. And I, that was when I kind of found this whole scene, like this whole sort of fetish scene of um, BBW big beautiful women they called it and uh-huh. plus size women and it was all very fetishized and everything and I I was like a kid in a candy shop at first like I'm not gonna lie I went straight in there I was like this is the first time someone has said they found my body attractive I am on it like a car bonnet but after a while I found that nothing was happening there was no relationships being built I wasn't getting any satisfactory kind of even a friendship and I realized that it just came down to sex and one night I was just like, when we were being told that we were being made redundant and my redundancy package was absolutely abysmal and I didn't know what else I was going to do. And it was just sheer desperation of looking online to see whether there was such a thing as plus size escorts. And there 
was. And they were getting paid a fortune. <laughs> and I was like, these women are getting paid for something that I've been doing for free for the past six months. <laughs> and that was it. It was just like the, the knowledge that I was going to be fired, the, the hatred of where I was living, the hatred of being used and knowing that I could have sex with men and I could have a great time and they could really enjoy my body and I could really enjoy having time with them and I could get paid I could get my my rent paid I could move out I could use this money to to do something else with my life and yeah I, it started from there I put up a, a listing like there's different listing sites and at the time when I started working there was only about 12 plus size women in the whole of the UK who were working as escorts Ooh, wow good odds exactly oh my god like it was an absolute dream it was brilliant and um as soon as I put my details up I got an appointment basically someone asked me to go to an appointment and and I did and I got paid and I was over the moon sorry are they called appointments yes yes. that's the official terminology yeah because that sounds like a doctor's I know well that's where the uh, psychology works there you see Laura because I call it a booking or an appointment because it makes them know that they can't turn up early and they can't turn up late they've got a one hour two hour slot and it is like a doctor's you know loads of guys are like oh why do I have to turn up and it's like because you've got this time I might be seeing someone before you or I might just be in my pants playing Super Mario Brothers but you know yes you're a working woman and your time is valuable like everybody else's exactly so and I started doing out calls and I do it at hotels so I wasn't having to go to someone's house I knew that I was safe in a hotel because I could call them and make sure that they were in the room that they specified and I knew that there were people around and I have got a voice on me Mm -hmm. you know and also I've got the type of body that it takes a big effort to cut up into little bin bags so (laughs) 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 they have to be really determined you know what I mean so I, I just took advantage of that and I just started booking out calls and seeing guys and and having a great time I was 22 in London I was going out to Soho every night I was making new friends I was really really enjoying myself Uh, Let's move on to the next offcut. So tell us about this one, please. So this is a writing sample that became Crossbones, and that's a show that I wrote for Edinburgh in 2017. The parish of St Marie Overy in the year of our Lord 1163 is delighted to announce that Mrs Crabapple of Dewsbury Lane has won this month's Tombola and will be receiving a hamper of turnips just as soon as a hamper is invented. Regular parishioners will be aware that last weekend was our first inaugural family fun day on the banks of the Thames. What a joy to see the children of Southwark making the most of poverty. Their faces lit up as they made mud men, mud angels, played mud and ladders, and the classic pin the mud on the mud. However, sad to say, this did not raise as much funds for the church roof as we were hoping, and the parish committee have decided we take the situation firmly by the hands and shake it up until the good burghers of Southwark have discharged enough to fill a hoard. And after a lifetime of chastity, the nuns of St Mary's could not have been more keen to get on their knees in the service of the Lord and receive his great succour. As you all know, our newer novices have made vows to relinquish their sinful past, but we would like to assure all parishioners that we will be encouraging them to revive it again forthwith. For our more ardent sinners, Sister Mary Angela is doing great work in the vestry and guarantees all a fitful punishment at a very reasonable rate. And whilst the abbess herself has been as busy as ever, she has assured me that she will be continuing to spread herself around the missionary. However, we have found it very difficult to cater towards some requests, particularly when it involved someone going up the aisle. But we found a willing volunteer who will be available at extremely competitive rates, and so we thank Mr Harrison for his service. As the verger of St Mary's, Mr Harrison has proven time and again he knows his way around a big organ. And now let us raise our voices as we sing Arise all ye unto the hands of the Lord. 
So, Crossbones, was this your first show that you did at Edinburgh? No, this was just sort of like a brain fart writing sample. So the first show that I did for Edinburgh was uh, The Coin Operator Girl. And that was just me, again, standing in a room talking about sex work, my line, how I started, the weird appointments. I did a top 10 at the end of what the most uh, asked for appointments were. And it was just fun. And I did a Q&A and it was really good fun. And it was my first experience of going up to Edinburgh. It was my first experience of writing a show. Right. And that was where I learnt more about what I wanted to do. And because I get sex workers who would come up to me afterwards and say, this is it. This is my story. I'm so tired of seeing us like either bedraggled victims or as these high class escorts. And it was like, this is it. This is what I want to do when it comes to writing about sex work. I want to talk about the average person just trying to make a living who's not uh, you know, high class, they're living with a flatmate or they're living in a one bedroom flat, you know, they're just trying to get by and that's what their money's going towards. Mm-hmm. Um because a few years into it, a friend of mine who was a sex worker activist, she she unfortunately she passed away. And that's where I learned about this place called Crossbones. And it's a graveyard in Southwark. And that was where the women who were prostitutes for the Bishop of Winchester were buried. And they were buried in this unconsecrated scrap of ground that was like laid undiscovered for years and years and years until it was discovered like quite recently in the 80s. And that was when I learned about the Winchester Winchester geese. They were these women that worked for the Bishop of Winchester. He prostituted them out in the stews of London on the banks of the Thames. They had these really insane laws and what a lot of sex workers would do when one of us passed away, like you get a lot of sex workers where you don't know their real names, you don't know where they live or anything like that. So vigils are held at Crossbones at the cemetery for them. And it's so beautiful. There's this gate with all these ribbons flying on it and all these totems and all these names. And when you hear about a sex worker dying, a lot of people will have a vigil there. And they do a vigil on the 23rd of the month, every month, just for the women who were buried there and this seemed like such a beautiful story and I wanted to write about it but obviously I didn't know anything about it so the sort of parish notices is a bit of a hack it's a bit of a trite thing to do but it was just a way to start with this very black adder idea of mud on the mud on the mud and then just work in the women that are being prostituted by the church so it was just like a brain fart and then oh you know it just made me laugh it made me giggle a bit and it made me realize that I did want to write it about it and I did think that I could do it in a in a funny but touching way and in a way that held significance I always feel when I talk about sex work and when I get to write a show about sex work and and I get to be funny about it I feel like there's a price to pay I feel like I want to honor the women who have done it before and for me Crossbones was a way to do that and and so I wrote this this small show it's only supposed to be just I did it in a room full of 15 people every day and that was perfect that was all I wanted I wanted people to come because they wanted to know the story and they wanted to know about these women and they wanted to know about the weird laws and and how that still reflects in sex work today and and just to keep it very respectful yeah yeah okay let's move on to your next off cut what's this one then Uh, This is a pitch document for a tv series which I wrote in 2018 called The Archers The Archers, the lives, loves and melodramas in the war zone of competitive field archery. The Archers is an original comedy drama written by Miranda Kane, starring some of the UK's best up-and-coming comedic talent and featuring the finest rural countryside England has to offer. It's a deadly detectorists with murder, deadly weapons and the ongoing battle of socialism versus capitalism at its heart, but with a slight detour into live-action roleplay. Synopsis. Charlie Saunders is the South West Area representative for the Great British Archery Association, a title she barely remembers she has after taking the mantle up years before, simply because no one else was at the meeting. However, she is woken in the middle of the night with the news that the Tollpuddle Bowman's team clubhouse has been set ablaze and a body has been found inside with an arrow through its heart. This starts her journey into meeting the Tollpuddle Bowman and their possibly deadly enemies, the city compounds, in the hopes of clearing the name of the grand sport of archery. The Tollpuddles are a ragtag bunch of village oddballs headed up by the earnest Atticus Pendragon who flies his red flag high. 
He is joined by Fiona, a socially awkward geek who continually tries to excuse her existence, unless she's wearing elf ears and fighting imaginary dragons with dice. There is also Spencer, the most eccentric of the bunch, who would be happy to paint his body blue and cry havoc just to get milk from Tesco. In complete contrast, the compounds are aloof and hard-hearted, haughty in their dislike of the village and its idiots. They're from a nearby city and believe their fancy and expensive equipment is what archery needs to keep the riffraff out. Their leader is the impeccable Liza, meticulous, refined, and has definitely shot humans at Bilderberg group meetings. Whilst Atticus is fighting for freedom and democracy for all, Liza is subtly marking her territory and hoping this turn of events will be what she needs to take over the Tollpuddle's shooting range for herself. In the meantime, Charlie has to keep both teams under control as well as ease the fears of the GBA, the press, the village Bobby and the community at large. Can she hit her targets or will she be left a quivering wreck? <laughs> Ooh, well done on the puns there. <laughs> Excellent punnery in the last couple of lines. Thank you. I have to ask, why archery? Oh, I love it. I love it. I've done archery for you. You're an archer. I'm a secret archer. That's my. That is. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's unexpected. You're an archer. I'm an archer. I've got a 40 pound recurve bow, sightless, I'll have you know. I don't know what that means. Yeah, no, not a bit, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of those sports where you can get so geeky about it. Yeah, no, I've done it ever since. Like I said, I grew up in Dorset. So um, I was one of the Litchit bowmen. There was a, an archery team in Litchit Matravers that I used to go to every Tuesday, shoot arrows. <laughs> and it was just, it's just gorgeous. It's just such a lovely sport. How old were you when you? you started arching I was um, 18 I think oh right so you're an adult no I'd, I'd done those same kind of things you know when you're a kid or even when you're an adult and you go to those uh, away days and there's always archery involved like can you shoot one of the balloons on a target and you feel like yes I'm Robin Hood I can do this <laughs> and so yeah so I did that as like a kid and I always wanted to do it and then um, I think a friend of mine she could drive so we just wanted to do something to get out in the open and we found that there was this little little archery team in Litchit Travers that we joined and they were really nice and this is the thing about archery it's a very solo sport but everyone is really helpful everyone's really connected everyone really wants you to do your best and your archery your archering your shooting arrows yeah is it, what, what is the verb for archery is that interesting? I think it's just I just say I'm just doing a bit of archery I, I still haven't figured out the language I always just say I'm going off shooting arrows you know right. which makes it sound cool <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool anyway you could actually kill a man that's always a cool thing <laughs> it is I like to think so I'm ready for the zombie apocalypse that's one of the oh yeah oh my god you'd be the best person yeah yeah I'm ready I'm ready but this particular TV series that you were pitching mm. I presume you were going to play the lead of the middleman middlewoman <laughs> no, I hadn't really like put myself in there. I, if anything, at the time I was gonna, I wanted to do Fiona, the one that was a LARPer and running the, around. The one who's the assistant, the second in command. Yes, yeah. yeah, the one that was, you know, a bit shy and everything. So I, I, it wasn't one where I'd put myself in there. Really, it was one that I'd put, I'd put all my friends in there. Like I could totally give you the cast. It was all these people that I knew uh, that I was thinking of anyway. But yeah, it was just supposed to be something. Fun is that it's that's the one that I've got on my desktop that pops out between May to July when I'm looking out the window and it's lovely and sunny outside, and I've just got these ideas of being back in the Dorset countryside and and in the middle of a field watching people shooting arrows <laughs> and being able to like you know play archery whilst you're filming. How, oh, beautiful! Love that. Could you not uh, speaking from the writing point of view? Could you not write? I don't know, either um, an audio drama about it or audio comedy about it or mm. um, even a novel about it, seeing as you know so much about it and you have ideas. Yeah, it's I'd love to. Like, that's a, that, that is a really good idea. But I think for me, it was always sort of about the, the countryside. Like, again, there's also the detectorist like that. Oh, God, I love that series so much and mm. seeing all the beautiful countryside. But, you know, I've got so many bits of scripts that I've written, just, you know, bits of random script. You just 
think of a scene and I've got so many bits like that on my computer and on various hard drives I might just try and squish it together and put it in a in an audio thing um, and see if anyone's interested well it's just a, it's a means to an end isn't it if, you know if it turns out to be successful people go oh we could make a TV series out of that boom yeah, yeah absolutely yeah but if, if that's your because I, I just have a vision of uh, a novel or an audio series where an ex-sex worker retires to run an archery school in Dorset <laughs> or something or yeah having having created this some kind of archery business a massive sort of conglomerate of archery related products I don't know but uh, two particularly odd bedfellows so to speak yeah. archery and sex work but um, it just seems that, that way you could live your dream well they both yeah I mean they both involve a lot of pricks so absolutely <laughs> Have you said that before? I suspect no. you might have. Have you not? <laughs> no, you're, you're the only one that's put the sex work and the archery together. <laughs> I think we're Filth. maybe onto something. I think this is it. <laughs> the oh. pricks connection. <laughs> right, in anyway, that let's move on. Let's move away from the archery, the pricks. And um, <laughs> we've come to your final offcut. Mm. So tell us about this one, please. <laughs> this is called I Won't Do That and is an audio comedy I wrote near the beginning of the pandemic in April 2020. Hello and welcome to But I Won't Do That, a new podcast where I, Miranda Kane, will use my entrepreneurial skills to try and earn a fiver off you, the public, by any means necessary. Yeah, socially distanced. Remember to say you'll do it like that. Oh, quite right. Okay. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to But I Won't Do That, a new podcast where I, Miranda Kane, will try and earn a responsibly socially distanced fiver by any means necessary. And say why. Why? What do you mean why? Why do you want a fiver for doing stuff? Because I'm skint. But why a fiver? Because we're all skint. Well, unless you're a tall. But why you? Because I used to be a, you know, and frankly, in a world where we can't touch each other up, I need to use other ways of making a quick bit of cash. Is that okay? Can we just get on with it now? OK, go from the top. Hello and welcome to... It's just... Have you, have you not considered just getting a job? Yes, thank you. Just press record. Or getting up before ten o'clock. Hello and welcome to... I will but give I... you a fiver right now if you get up tomorrow at eight. Anyone is welcome to hire me for whatever they wish, be it going shopping for them, reading a bedtime story... What about eight hours stacking shelves? You could do that for more than a fiver. Presenting podcasts, writing jokes. Is this because you got rejected from Cameo? I did not get rejected from Cameo. I'm just, yeah, well, oh, I'm just trying to help you out here. You know what? Thank you very much. I'm very grateful. Thanks. <laughs> this was very interesting because the thing that struck me was that bit of conversation where he says, have you ever thought of getting a job? And mm. you could, I got the feeling that that's probably a conversation you've had quite a lot of times against your will. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people say to you, yeah, but have you ever thought about getting a job? Because you can actually earn quite a decent money. And I get, I get the feeling that you're just so sick of people saying that to you. Is that true? Am I correct in my yeah. assumption? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's that's fair. Yeah. Now I've looked back at my life and realised that the last time I did have a proper job was in two thousand and seven. Yeah, it is weird because my uh, like I said, like this kind of small town mentality. Being able to have your own job and being able to work from home, like before pandemic, being able to be self-employed and sort of living hand to mouth and in these really creative ways where you're the person who's making the job. My family just don't really understand mm -hmm. it, yeah. I think. And and also like friends of mine, when I'm trying to tell them that actually doing the work, if I stand on stage, that bit's the easy part. If I'm standing on stage or if I'm doing some writing, that's great. The hard part is doing the pitching, is is convincing someone that I should be on their stage, is doing the, the admin that goes round it. That's what I'm earning the money for, you know? So... And that is where I also panic and think, God, do you know what? What if I just got a job? What if I just worked nine to five and I could leave everything at five o'clock and I wouldn't have to keep checking my emails over the weekend? Mm. Yeah. Run an archery field. I could run an archery field. <laughs> That's what I think you should do. <laughs> that would be the best of both worlds. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be able to mix archery with my weird kind of self-employment. But now I think, that's perfect absolutely well you could run an archery field and look out from your office desk where you're writing mm. your next script mm. you'll be writing that you'll be watching everybody shooting their 
their arrows oh, yeah. in your field. So you're sort of be you'd sort of be self-employed, but you'd also have the security. Sorry, I yeah. sound like your mother now, or <laughs> a mother. <laughs> darling, darling, just buy yourself a little bit of security. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I didn't mean it like that. But I, I got the feeling because when, um, as a as a fellow creative, yeah, you get people going. You, why don't you? Why don't you get a proper job? Mm. But they don't. To be honest, they don't do that for very long because I'm quite aggressive and <laughs> and unpleasant. <laughs> so I think they just walk away eventually. But um, in your case, I would have thought that the the sex work rather than the writer performer. I wondered mm. if that was the thing that people went. Yeah, but you know, wouldn't it be better if you had a proper job, be safer, oh, or no? Do you know, the sex work, because people just didn't ask me, because people had an inkling, but they just didn't want to to know. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't those things where it's like, Brenda, so are you uh, actually a dominatrix? What what is what is going on there? Because because I know you said it at the pub a couple of, but I just thought you were joking. You are joking though. That's not you know. That's, they don't really delve into it. But saying that I write about being a sex worker, or I write about how I used to be, people are still convinced that I'm still a sex worker so they'll be like so you still are you still doing it and, no. you, and I'm like no I'm 40 no <laughs> that must be really annoying especially when you're so established now as a writer or a performer but actually surely age isn't a barrier if you did want to go back to doing it though there's oh there's honestly you can do it anytime I mean if anything it's my retirement plan like there is <laughs> there is a niche market out there for everyone and everything but but also like things have changed in the field nowadays you've got only fans I can't be bothered with all that I don't want to I, I want to be able to put up an advert like back in the day you used to be able to put up your website say this is what I do this is what I don't do this is how much I charge here's my telephone number take it or leave it mm-hmm. nowadays it's all oh here's my 30 seconds on only fans here's my bit of free content here's my Twitter feed which could get taken down at any moment oh god that's what it takes to be a sex worker these days <laughs> so, really oh yeah. my goodness that's so interesting interesting because I mean yeah. that's the most difficult part of being a creative or, or whatever having a podcast as I'm sure yeah. you know just that you have the Twitter feeds and the Facebook pages and the Instagrams and you go, it's, yeah. just, it's difficult enough coming up with this and editing it and putting it out and then I've got to spend even more time marketing <laughs> it so I would have thought the sex thing people surely don't need that publicizing surely the actual act itself is enough people in fact don't want it advertised do they no yeah it's it's still exactly the same you've got to put your content out there you've got to be known and and also like we've had we've had the pandemic so people flooded onto things like OnlyFans thinking oh if I just put a picture of my feet up then people are gonna love it and give me loads of money but you've got to advertise you've got to market it's it's always been the same it's still in sex work you still got to advertise yourself and you still got to market yourself like that's how I learned about it I started off with this marketing assistant job where I got an inkling and I learned how to make press releases and what content to use and da 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 and how to do search engine optimization and I <gasps> you didn't you I search did. engine optimized oh, your, your sex worker site me- oh, oh respect <laughs> respect <laughs> keywords and things like that you yeah. did keywords yeah I did meta tags I did everything <laughs> all of it I was I was in there like swim well, Laura. I was on it. I yeah. am so impressed. If I had a hat, I would be doffing it <laughs> Thank right now. You. Thank My you. God, high five of virtually. <laughs> Virtual high five there. Ooh. <laughs> But nowadays it's so different. Like that, that would have been, that was great like 10 years ago. But nowadays, you know, to get on the top score of Google, like people aren't even looking at Google anymore. They're just going on to Instagram and OnlyFans and and Twitter and, and using all these, these sites. And the problem with these sites is that at any day you could be earning like a million pounds a day. You're putting your picture of your feet or whatever on there and you're earning a million pounds a day. And then one day Someone in Silicon Valley says, oh, we've had enough of this. Let's clean up shop and uh, we'll get rid of all these naughty people and make sure that it's only for the celebrities. And boom, you've lost your whole income stream because they've just made one little change to their terms of service. But don't you have, sorry, Mm. is this not of all businesses a business where you can get word of mouth or repeat customers? 
It is. If you're, if you're, if you're. I'm, so, if I'm you, sorry. I, I'm getting up becoming your mother. <laughs> no, no. I, if you are, there are some people who are very good with their customers. I was not, as you may have heard in the first clip. <laughs> uh, but I thought that was for comedy purposes. That was comedy there, there was actually purposes. a bit of documentary evidence, was it? I had very, I had a few regulars and they were very nice. But I wasn't putting all my eggs in their basket, shall we say. <laughs> I'm very clinical with people. But some women, that's how they work. Like I used to know someone who she never had a website or anything. She just had a separate mobile phone to the one she used. And it was just all word of mouth and repeat customers. But for me... <laughs> Nah. <laughs> so in that case, there is a need to keep advertising. Yeah, I suppose. yeah. that's a shame. Fascinating <laughs> stuff. Absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Um, right. Well, we've come to the end of the show. How was it for you? Oh, this has been. I honestly, I've really enjoyed hearing all the work because sometimes you just don't know whether it will work out loud like mm-hmm. I can see it on paper but to hear it being played and also because a couple of them were bits that I've written for myself yeah. so I know how I want it to be said but to hear it being played back has been a real joy and also just to get the inspiration like there are some things when I was digging around and I was like god I really do want to get back to this I really do think there is an idea here and like you said about doing it in a different way you know there, maybe there's a novel maybe there's an audio thing so it's been a real joy to talk about it and just to put those things out there and to know they won't die on my laptop and never see the the light of day <laughs> <laughs> did you hear anything that surprised you at all about your writing or your creativity or any of your ideas um yeah i um you can say no, by the way. You can say no. I knew exactly what I was doing when I gave it to you and I heard exactly what I expected to hear. Yeah. I think I'm surprised that I heard what I heard in my head, if that makes sense. And that's why I think I rely on writing for myself to do things because I think, well, I know what I'm trying to say. I know how I'm supposed to say it here. Mm. And so it has really surprised me that the the wonderful actors have interpreted that and have seen what I was trying to say and said it in the way that I was trying to say it and I know you could say well that's because like italics and all this but it's there's just something in it like you know the the pauses and the gaps and and getting it Mm -hmm. is such a a wonderful thing to hear (laughs) yeah yeah maybe I can start writing for other people rather than trying to get my own fucking face on television all the time so I might try that in the future (laughs) eh And then you can sit in your archery field and shoot people from afar and make lots of money. Yes. Well, um, well, that's it, really. Um, Thank you very much for for doing that. And thank you for for sharing your offcuts and your life story with (laughs) me and the listener. Oh, thank you. I'm so honestly, this has been such an honour. And, you know, to have anyone read and and perform your work is always such an honour anyway. So, you know, but for it to be bits that have just sort of been lost in time and forgotten about has been so nice and really inspirational as well. So, So thank you so much. The Offcut Straw was devised and presented by me, Laura Shaven, with special thanks to this week's guest, Miranda Kane. The Offcuts were performed by Chris Pavlo, Bavnisha Palmar and Emma Clark, and the music was by me. For more details, visit offcutstraw.com and please do subscribe, rate and review us and recommend us to friends. Thanks for listening. Listener.